Hey listeners, Debatable is now available for streaming and download on actionagogo.com. Derek Scarzella and Troy Jeffrey Allen, once and future Debatable podcast guests, along with a slew of great writers, have made actionagogo.com one of the best online destinations for pop culture journalism and news coverage. Films, comics, games, if you need your geek fix, AAGG is the place to go. Nowhere else can you find their unique flavor of writing and commentary about the entertainment world you care about. Debatable's media-centric episodes will have a second home there now, and I hope you will go over there and check out the site, uh, stream and download the episodes, and certainly read all the great articles that they have up. That's actionagogo.com, A-C-T-I-O-N-A. A-G-O-G-O.com, actionagogo.com. The Debatable Podcast is available on Tumblr. That's debatablepodcast.tumblr.com and also on iTunes. Uh, I am Mr. Greggles, M-I-S-T-E-R-G-R-E-G-G-L-E-S, and our show is Debatable Pod, both of those on Twitter. You do know how to spell debatable, don't you? I hope at this point you do. To answer your question, I did not see the equalizer. Fuck. <laughs> <sighs> uh, what the hell are we talking about today? I have no idea. Ken, how are you? I am awake. Ken likes to fly <laughs> by the seat of his pants, so yeah. Well, I I uh I don't know what topics you guys came up with, but I uh while I was falling asleep last night, I, I uh, lazily put some notes into my phone on, on a topic, but I don't know how uh, cohesive they all are, so we can just go for it and find out, but you guys <laughs> probably came up with better topics anyway. I came up with exactly two topics, and uh, they're both, no, three topics, and two of them are, 
I guess, not typical debatable fare. So this could be a, a one-off bullshit. Okay. It's really not even asking about the typical things we talk about, but I don't know. Joe, you got no ideas? I got no ideas. Motherfucker. (laughs) This is what I do on Smoke Gets In Your Ears, too. I come totally unprepared, notes-wise. Well, you don't have to because, yeah, you got AJ to take care of that bullshit. Yeah, exactly. He leads everything. Yeah. Uh, Christ, this is going to be difficult. So now you have to emulate AJ on this power trio. (laughs) It's very difficult. (laughs) Okay. I'm 12 years old. I'm a comedy fan. (laughs) <laughs> I have very bad taste in move. No, uh, I love that. That's your um, label for him. Twelve-year-old comedy fan. It's, for, it's consistent. I'm, I'm even. It's I'm happier that he put it on his Twitter. That's the best part. Okay, we're recording. I guess. Ugh. No, I'm looking forward to this. So, how does it feel, both of you guys, being on the same? podcast i mean you're not used to it right (laughs) i I kind of feel like we're both cheating on our wives (laughs) is aj your wife (laughs) yeah he's both of our wives yes (laughs) that's why i thought it was so funny that uh they didn't mention uh smoke gets in your ears when you hosted gobble geek 200 (laughs) because paul got to mention the fact that he had a mistress (laughs) which but that happened to be gobble geek so i guess put that on aj completely because aj didn't remember his plugs that's on him Right, definitely. But by by the way, you you were excellent on that. Thank I you. Found, man. I found your hosting skills uh, uh, jealous, rage inducing. <laughs> Do you know how it took it took me a good hour to write and rehearse that opening, and I was like, I am not gonna get this in the first go. And then I t- I told them guys. You might have to edit because I don't think I'm going to be able to get the intro in first go, and I did it in the first go. And I was like, okay, well, I guess the rest of this uh, podcast is cake. I don't care, man. It's no problem now. I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to to, to do it. I rewrote it like three times. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like you, like as a comic, whenever I'm like, there's the fucking half hour before you know you have to go on stage, where you're just your nerves yeah. are like killing you, and you're trying to read the crowd and see who's in the room to see if any of it's gonna work, even though you're trying new stuff, so you have no idea. And it's that moment of like, you get on stage. If the first joke works, mm-hmm. the rest of the set, it's like not even work. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, I'm. I, they're on my side. You feel comfortable by that point. Yeah, yeah. If if they get what I'm going for right up front, then I, I feel pretty okay. Right on. So for the listener who might typically listen to, or if you're new, that's fine too. Uh, but typically we have at least a blueprint of what we're going to talk about, even if we go off topic and don't talk about something. We have a we have a topic in in, in mind, an idea. This is not that, as far as I can tell. <laughs> this is fly by the seat of your pants. But see, I have two people on today's show. Mr. Joe Lewis. Hello, Joe. How you doing, man? And Mr. Ken Edwards. Ken, how are you? 
What's up, buddy? I'm great. You got me like in the in the morning when I am not used to <laughs> podcasting. This is like the good ha- the the yin yang of me. No one's ever seen the yin. This well, is me ha- having showered and run and eaten a healthy breakfast. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> so this this is not going to be a good episode. Let's <laughs> uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll become a real podcaster today. How prepped you are. <laughs> Yeah, you both have had uh, your your own episode recently on the show, and uh, I, which I... Which I think we've both said is one of our favorite thanks. podcast appearances that we've ever done. I'm happy about it. I think both yeah. of our... Yeah, I think I think you guys have good rapport with other people, and I think it was good, like, like isolating you and talking to you guys each. I think we had good good rapport. Agreed. So, so Ken got his own movie. I got my own movie. <laughs> yeah. we're slowly building to the Avengers of Ex- it all. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we're going for. This is phase one. Um, AJ will be the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, th- so this is a uh, Lewis v. Edwards Dawn of Gobble. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Excellent. Um, so. I just feel we, like we I'm have... going to be editing a lot of this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what Zack Snyder said. <laughs> <laughs> we have better costumes. Ken, you had some ideas. I think Joe said that he had a lot of ideas too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's you know, talk about let's talk about recovering from a night of drinking. Is that a valid topic? Is that what is that what's happening with you? That is what's happening with me. It, it seems to be a pattern on. Some you know, things. you fucker. You knew that you had a twelve o'clock call time, and you said, "Fuck it, I'm still gonna drink last night." Is that a yeah. usual Saturday night thing? Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> How old are you? Twenty-two. Okay, twenty-two. Oh, yeah, you're still in that, still in that mode. <laughs> Ken, what was your night like? Night like last night? Oh, um, well, it was pretty exciting because <laughs> I have a secondary job in which I deliver newspapers. So hardcore. So, so he's also recovering <laughs> for a different reason. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> uh, you're, you're the one that sounds more out of it than we do. Though, I know, I because, I, dude, I just don't feel like I'm completely, like, like I'm completely here. I don't feel like I'm completely, I've had a brutal fucking week. So I started this new job, and uh, this was the first week after, after training, so I was let loose. And it was, I was so out of, out of my depth, like, you know how you get to the point where you know a job and you you feel confident in it and you you might be you you might even feel like you're awesome at it. This is the exact opposite of that. I feel like I'm like 10% efficient. And right. it's totally Yeah, and it's totally thrown me off this whole week. I've been totally feeling just just uh unconfident right. about everything. Yeah, I always feel like starting a new job is like walking into a gym the very first time with like not knowing like how exactly to work out or anything, and yeah. the trainer just tosses you a barbell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, like they'll, they'll set you up at a at a at a weight station, and they're like, "Go ahead and do ten reps." And I'm like, "I don't even know how to do like what. <laughs> at least show me, like, walk me through this. Like, this whole week has been." Um, uh, you know what? I don't know if it was the person who trained me, who I have a lot of respect for, or whether it was my lack of ability to pick up and follow everything that person was showing me. Because it could be both of our faults. 
but I felt like this week, uh, everything that she showed me, I just didn't know how to do. Even though we touched on it, I didn't know what the fuck to do. And what granted, you- it's the first time I've, I've done it, so, yeah. What do you do, Greg? Uh, now I do reversioning for, for Asia-Latin regions. So, basically, we have uh, a two-pronged thing. I have to do reporting in the morning, which is basically writing up a report that sends to these companies of what files delivered over our, our network at, uh, the night before. But then the second part of it in the afternoon is, is pulling uh, programs and media that we're going to go into edit and make um, like like tailor to the region. For instance, if we were going to make something for India, India has pretty strict standards. They even though they buy a bunch of stuff that's very sexy and dangerous, like it, they have a bikini show that they bought, but everything that they get has to be censored. They can't have any like gr- uh, really uh, uh, crazy nudity or or something too sexy, but they buy all this sexy stuff. So it needs to be blurred. It needs to go into edit to be blurred. We, they bought an hour-long um, breastfeeding <laughs> uh, <laughs> special and it, it has full on shots of women breastfeeding uh, new moms talking about boobs and boobies all of that stuff needs to be beeped out or censored huh. and that that's what we do we coordinate the editing of it so why did they order that video in the first place I don't know like they, <laughs> like I think that they th- I guess you know okay it's the idea that in a censored or extremely conservative country, if you, sh- you know, you're, what do they call that? Is that a burka? What is the, the yeah. like, yeah. yeah. If you show a little bit of leg, that's sexy. You know what I mean? Like, so you're going to show a bikini show, but it's all blurred, but they leave it up to the imagination. You know what I mean? Right. So, so I like to imagine that if you're watching that for the first time out of context of the original airing, then it's just going to seem like a bunch of women talking about something that gets beeped out, and then when it shows it, it's going to be their torso all blurred out. So for yeah. all anyone knows, they could just be talking about like what it was like to be eaten by an alien or a chestburster yeah, coming yeah. out or anything. Exactly. The the whole show. I I did not follow that show. That could have just been shark bites the whole time. You know <laughs> how I got how I got attacked by sharks all day. <laughs> It's just, no, it's just weird. It's like I'm familiar with the tasks, the little tasks, the minutia, but how it all fits together, the puzzle of the process is just completely alien to me. So that's throwing me off my game the whole week, you know? Like we, we recorded uh, the, the second episode of the Wire podcast on uh, last Monday, Fernando and I, and seriously, man, I was the most stressed out about trying to to get to that and i listen listen back to it and i'm really just i know that i'm not on my game well it fucks up your whole your whole flow of how everything in life works because the thing that you make a habit out of sustaining your life and what you do every day yeah you feel so confident about and then suddenly you feel rocky about that thing that's supposed to give you some sort of security so it just yeah it throws off the rest of your week exactly yeah it's weird man this whole week has been a uh on both sides, both in in and out of work, has been kind of that test. Yesterday, I hung out with uh, with some of my friends from high school, and uh, they're all uh, are they all two two of their three couples are married, but they all have kids. And uh, last night, I'm hanging out with them, and 
you know, they're beautiful. All, all these kids, some of them are, you know, 10, 11 months old. There's one that's uh, only a couple months old. And they're beautiful. They're wonderful. They're, they're, you know, playing with toys and everything. And I really admire seeing my, my friends that I grew up with um, having, having kids, having like moving on to a new generation. Right. And I, I really appreciate it and everything. But the thing that like tinges this in the back of my head is that every time I'm around couples that have kids, especially like friends of mine, obviously the next question comes up is, so when are you and Monique going to have a kid? Right. And that's that's the other thing. So I'm dealing with this kind of, you know, cloud over my head at work. And then I also have this thing of, you know, it's it's kind of like you can you can brush it off uh, when someone asks you. So when are you going to have a kid or when are you going to get married or whatever? But it it's uh, when it does when when someone like my friend asks me, why don't you want to have kids? Like he says it in a way like you're not normal. Why don't you want to have kids? Um, it, 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 it adds to that, uh, that non-confidence this week. Yeah. Well, I, I have this weird thing of like hearing, hearing stuff like that. It's like, maybe it's just the cynicism of my outlook of like trying to find things that are humorous and comedy. Yeah. But whenever I hear anyone say anything like that, it, it, it sort of, it comes across, and I'm not saying this is the case with your friends, and I know there are lots of people who are happy with their kids, but I have heard some people who come across as like, uh, you know, misery loves company. Like, like it's like that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. There's, when when we were out at dinner last night after the whole day, I, you know, I spent with them like half the afternoon. Uh, my best friend uh, Megan is like saying, "See." You saw you you see these kids today. Don't don't you want to have one? And I look at her. I look across the table. I'm looking at them. They're adorable. All, the, all three of these kids. And I was like, you know what? The spe- spending time with you guys, I appreciate it. I see what you love about these kids. They're like so wonderful. Even in public, like there were other families and other kids that were acting up and screaming and everything and crying. And they were all three of these kids. Granted, one of them is a baby, but all of them are just so well behaved and everything and she's like don't you want this and i was like i see what you love about it but you're only asking me to do this so that i can share in your misery because i know that as soon as uh, you know i'm getting the grandparents uh uh idea that i can play with these kids and whatever but i can leave them with you at the end of the day i know what the other side of of this is it's a lot of work it's a lot less sleep (laughs) it's a lot less freedom (laughs) yeah oh that's the thing that they kept coming back to because we were getting ready to go to dinner and i was like you know what i'm gonna run over i had to get something for monique uh like uh something for our bathroom and i was like i'm gonna go over to kmart and get something real quick and i'm and i'm i can just get off the couch and leave their house and they all gave me a look like Oh, you don't have to prepare to leave. (laughs) (laughs) They all looked at me like you motherfucker. And then the same thing with dinner. I had it was getting late. I had to get back because I I live like a half an hour away from where we were. And I was like, I got to get back. I'm going to pay my check and go. And they're all like, you motherfucker. We not only have to wait for the checks, but we have to make sure we have everything together, our kids and all that shit. Mm Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, there's. I feel that pressure too because you know I, I'm married and everyone around me, like literally everyone around me, has kids. It's and so it just becomes this thing of like, uh, 
it's not even what's expected. It's just the the norm, you know. Yeah. And and so people are freaked out when they don't see the norm. Right. But like, I feel like a, I'm a crazy enough person as it is, and there's so many things like I want to do with my life. Like you open up my my Garage Band or my uh, uh, Final Draft apps, and like I've got like 50 projects on each that I'm constantly yeah. working on, and like I. I I just feel like if I what free time I do have was gone, I'd never achieve anything. That's true. You put your life on hold. Yeah, and there's this uh, great comedian named Jen Kirkman, and she was saying on Twitter the the other night, and I just thought this was so so uh, perfectly stated how I feel about the situation. Is people are always saying stuff like, uh, "Oh, you have no idea how much having kids changes you. It changes your life." But her argument was. You know what else changes your life? Life. So you have a kid and then 10 years later your life's different? Yeah. I guarantee your life will be different 10 years later without that kid. Right. It's just you're using that kid to continue through life. Right. It's something that bleeds into uh, a couple a topic that's come up um, before. I did a whole episode with some good friends of mine, uh, a married couple that that really don't they don't really think that they want to have kids. They they don't know what they're what their future entails, but that's not what they're they're into. They're not thinking about having a family right now, and and they'd be perfectly fine with never having a family. But I think like all three of us grow grew up in towns, whether it's suburban or rural or whatever, where the idea of what you're supposed to do with your life is this checklist that you need to get married, you need to have a family, maybe ha- buy a house have th- have what is typical what typical society says you should have the american dream the american dream it, yeah it's why like, did it's, why did you get married ken did you did you feel like it was right or did you do it because there was pressure why did you get married um honestly it was like i i love hill so much that like i as soon as we got together i mean i i told this story on the episode the longer version of this story on the episode of my podcast that you were on called so let's get debatable but in a nutshell like i loved her for so long we were friends for so long and then we we lost contact uh once we became adult dated some other people and then uh when we finally got together we were (laughs) rebounding off other people and then it was like uh everything clicked like oh this felt right so like within the first two months we were already uh, not talking about it, but it just seemed like we knew that's right. where where it was going. And honestly, if if I'm going to answer that that question correctly, uh, and honestly, it's that I couldn't think of anything else. Like I just I just wanted to make her my my wife. I didn't uh, even conceive of like having a podcast until after I was like engaged to her. Like I couldn't focus on anything else. It was, I mean, it sounds sort of fucked up and maybe uh, possessive, but you know, I was like, I need to make sure this chick's mine. Right. <laughs> and and then I can focus on, on what like like she can provide me the comfort to know that I'm an okay enough human being to try to put that on a page somewhere. <laughs> but you're really young too. How old are you? I'm 26. You're 26. And Joe, you're 22, right? Right. So, what what about you? Is there any pressure to do that? It's like when you've been with with better halves, when you've been with with girlfriends before, has that ever been in in the back of your mind that you need to get married, have kids, whatever? I mean, it's uh, less so the having kids part, but uh, it's definitely been in the back of my mind. I was actually uh, engaged at one point for mm-hmm. a few months. Uh, that fell apart. But <laughs> uh, Why did that fall apart, if you don't mind me asking? It's a long, long story. Hey, we got a <laughs> podcast. 
Um, Give the Cliffs notes. Was there cheating? Uh, not really. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow, I wasn't expecting to get into this today. Oh boy. Um, Is this off the table? Do you not want to talk about it? Uh, we'll see after I talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the girl I was with, it was my it was my first like real legit long term relationship. And when I say long term, we were only together in total. I think just a little over a year. But like we were, we were both way, way into each other. We, you know, things moved really fast. We spent all of our time together, and uh, we, we just, I feel like it, it was less so the. Uh, when I say we moved too fast, I don't mean the sexual aspects of the relationship. No. I mean the other things, the the attachment things. Yeah, we spent way, way, way too much time with each other. I feel. When did you say I love you? <laughs> the uh second day <laughs> <laughs> like like the day after we agreed to be boyfriend and girlfriend <laughs> and we, but we were both on the same page so right. i feel like that was okay right sure <laughs> but um just when you when you spend so much time in the same room with one person for so long you start to like you start to assimilate with each other, yeah. you you start to lose sight of who you of who you actually are right. in a way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it just like and obviously we're both really young. I was 20 at the time, and she was 21. She was a year older than me, and I I think that I think that was what ultimately broke the straw that broke the camel's back. We were just too we got too close too quickly Mm -hmm. did she buy you alcohol yes (laughs) (laughs) she totally did i see i I can i can see that i think that a couple times in my life i think especially early on when i was in my teens that um i was such a, a fucking romantic of a kid and I just I romanticized the idea of relationship and romanticized the the um the connection with a woman and just like I can imagine a life and 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 uh marriage and everything it was so like it was a a fucking hallmark card in my head but like I used used to be the same way yeah Yeah. so that's 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 my outlook that's why um yeah, I love that character. I don't know if you guys watch Modern Family, but Manny Pritchett, the the little kid who who is uh, he, he's the kid of the, you know, Sofia Vergara. Yeah, and, it sounds uh, familiar. Right, right, right. Yeah, he he's just so he's like ten, but he's like the most romantic person in the world to this, uh, um, like hyperbolic degree, and it's <laughs> it's just the funniest thing because it, it's it's. It's taking who we think we are when we're teenagers and discovering ourselves and putting it in the context yeah. of somebody who couldn't yeah, yeah. feel that way. Exactly. Who's only seen it from movies and like intellectualized <laughs> exactly. it and not felt the hormones exactly. aspect of it. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know if even – no, Joe probably knows this. But yeah, uh, a lot of my listeners probably don't. I think I just said that we were in a relationship for four years. But yeah, I was actually engaged to the uh, girl I was with before Hillary. Yeah. And she was the uh, exact opposite kind of person, completely wrong for me. But I think that just speaks to um, what we're talking about, that at least that pressure in this area, or this part of the country of just like when you find somebody, it just it, it just feels like if you're not doing the norm yeah. of what everyone else is around you, then you're fucking up somehow. Yeah. It's it's not even totally just social pressure either. Because like, like, like Greg was saying, when you're young, you, to, you do tend to romanticize 
romance a little more right. than yeah. you do than you do later in life and if and you feel like some obligation to yourself to like continue making those steps because because you are checking things off the checklist it's right. another accomplishment which, an which is which is which is kind of a fucked up way to look at relationships like they well, should, you don't even they think just, it. they should just exist and grow as they will but go well ahead. yeah it's maturity too like i think yeah. that you know, Ken's absolutely right. You intellectualize it. Like, there's a couple, there's more than a couple, but I would say the, the main two ways that a male comes into um, growing up into relationships and everything is you base everything around sex or you base everything around intellectualizing what what a what a relationship is and i think i was one of those people that intellectualized what a relationship is and i did not I did not even do it in a warm way. It was cold and, and concise that uh, the woman would act like this or the person that I'm with would act like this and I would act like this. Not like even t- taking in that two entities, uh, like the maturity of it is now knowing that everyone fights and that mm-hmm. everyone has uh, problems sometimes and um, – you know, it's easy for someone to say, oh, well, you, it's about understanding and communication. It's so easy to say that, but mm-hmm. that's those are usually two areas that a lot of relationships break apart on. Just that. Yeah. And so that, that's you where don't, all the fights grow out of. Exactly. <laughs> because, because nobody wants to compromise. Exactly. If you, fucking, if you fucking said at 16 years old to me that people break up over, um, uh, over fighting about finances. I'd be like, what are you talking about? That doesn't even make sense to me. Why, why would, why, if you really loved her, you wouldn't care about that. But it's, what they don't tell you is that it bleeds into other things. Yeah. Your resentment bleeds into other things. Totally. Yeah, so, I, I'm always, I'm always, like, Hill gets, uh, she, she has, um, she gets very anxious whenever anything seems slightly, uh, off or not You're not right. perfect she's just a nervous person and i'm the opposite of that and that's why we we balance each other that way but she's always gets very uncomfortable whenever we even start to disagree or, or right. argue or or anything but right. i always try to remind her that, that like i never in even in my head even when it's at its most heated it never feels like an argument to me like feel like it feels like a, a passionate conversation where both of us just really need to get out exactly how we feel yeah and i feel like if there's a problem um, then neither of us have a clear understanding of what the other person wants. And once we do, then you can compromise within that. But if most people, but most people either just want to win the argument or yeah. end, end the argument. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is only going to make the argument persist. Yeah. yeah. Because the thing is, is that I don't think that anybody can really be mature. Well, not mature. That's the wrong word for it. But the, the, that they can really have the experience of, uh, n- of graduating to these next steps or whatever until they they know that you maybe should shut up and let this one go. You don't have to win every argument. You have to know when to not push buttons. You have to understand like what what is a victory and what is like what what is a victory and why does it matter like if you if your whole point is in a relationship that whenever you're going to argue or whatever it, it your whole your whole idea is to win an argument then maybe either you're not 
you're not ready for this relationship, this particular relationship, or maybe you don't get along with that person. If that's your idea of it, it that, there's a lot of growing up there. I don't, I don't think that that's, that's necessarily mature. I don't right. know. Yeah, you ha- you have to choose which hills you're gonna die on. Yeah. Because but because otherwise that uh, resentment and passive aggressiveness just it just festers. It does. You don't even realize it with some people. Some people you, you um, you know how people are kind of stuck in their in a teenage mindset like some people grow up and you realize that well through that experience or those relationships that they had or failed relationships that they've had they've gotten to a point where they understand people more and maybe they're ready to 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 be matched with someone who's had the same experience you know what i mean the same experience of growing and once they get together maybe uh, a future's there and maybe that future means marriage and kids and whatever but people don't think about that like here's the thing I don't I, I don't know if this is correctly uh, reading how that that motto that um, that little um, that little quote goes but whenever I hear that quote you can never go home again mm-hmm. I think about that I think about I've left the nest and I've also left the people that I grew up with so when I go back and I see the type of life that they have and I see the difference between their life and what my life is, I realize I have less and less in common with, uh, not not with them, I can still have a good time with them, but I have less and less in common with what they've chosen to do with their life. Mm-hmm. I don't match up with it in the same way. So I wonder if, if there's something wrong with me. Because I think I'm a mature person. I'm an introspective person. I think about uh, things about my my uh, life, and uh, and I, I think, uh, is this right? Is this wrong? I'm an introspective person. I feel like that is a, a an aspect of being a mature person. But when I go back and I see these people doing this thing and having a little life and everything that they're raising, I think, am I really mature? They seem to be pretty mature. I don't know. I don't but, I don't think that's immature because I mean, I think there's just we're all fighting for that balance to fi- figure out what the right choice is between what we want and what we should do. So like if you're in an argument and you're just like, "Oh, well I should like say you uh, you and your significant other had a fight and then it's the next day and you two aren't talking and she's about to get home from work. Maybe you just don't want the argument to end. So you're like, "Well, I by the book I should be a good boyfriend and I should go get these flowers and I should make a card and, and make a sale. Like that's that's effort and that's great if you do that to make everything better. But does it matter if that's not what you want? Right. If you if you're if if what you want more is what you believe, then don't compromise. And that goes for the opposite. So like uh maybe you Maybe you want something selfishly in life, but then there's that balance of being a good person and doing what you should do. So in regard to relationships, it's really hard to follow your heart and know what is right at the same time. Do you do you guys want kids? Not for a long time. <laughs> yeah, same here. I, like I, I am of the belief that like, and it's hard to prove this because I mean people are still alive. But I think as as we evolve as a race and and continue onwards, I think we can see not only like mature adult aspects creeping into younger kids' um, uh, personalities yeah. sooner, but also 
the youth of seeming like a young adult extending a lot more. Like like a fifty year old person twenty years ago um, is a lot different than in like totally. like a fifty year old person now. Mark totally. Maron is fifty one, and and I think as a kid I would have guessed he was maybe like I don't know forty yeah. or something like that. So I think. Uh, based on the timeline of how our life is extending, based on, on technology and medicine and whatever we're doing and still discovering these days that's going to help extend our life to a certain extent, that's going to stretch out our desire and, and, and what we want in life and when those things pop up. So where it was normal beforehand to have kids at like 20, 25, maybe it's going to be the norm in 50 or 100 years that we're not even considering having kids to worry about 40. But you get these you get these looks sometimes. Like I still get it and this is even from people who are in my generation. You're right that like someone who was 30 years old in 1960 even physically look different than a 30 year old now like we generally as a as generation y and and on Mm -hmm. look younger we look younger longer Our, our interests are are what would be childish to them and i even people in my goddamn in my goddamn generation give me the look like grow up when i say what my interests are they still consider video games to be childish, even from a fucking person who is my age, it, uh, the same the same person who has who has kids, they're like, get serious with your life. I've heard that before, and I'm like, fuck you. What is serious? Right. I start wondering, like, what is maturity? What is the definition of maturity? Because uh, you know, I I use this as a as a great example because I, I mean, I, you've read it. I'm sure it's in other places. You read it in literature. You you see it in movies. But idiocracy, how it illustrates that the more mature and intellectual people had less and less kids, and that's kind of a satire. But it's kind of true that if you realize the the variables that come with having kids and you intellectualize it you might feel the need to have less kids or to not have a family or whatever and i i wonder what is that definition of maturity to some people maturity is give up the things that you did as a boy and become a man what does that mean go work in the mines <laughs> what does that mean like make the money for your your wife and family and that's that's what a man is are you are you saying I'm not a man because I have interests in in pop culture and video games and movies and and I podcast and everything is that childish? Like I don't get that. Yeah, to I, that to that American dream person, it's like the video games are there to for for to keep your kids quiet and to, um, <laughs> to to help you fall asleep after your kids have gone to bed, where right. they don't even see the world anymore in the context of like people who don't have kids, because the, the only people in their lives who don't have kids are their kids. Right. They they don't anyone who thinks doesn't think that way. I'm already seeing that man. Like everyone who I went to high school with that I that I'm friends with on Facebook, like they post all the time either pictures or stories about their kids, and. Um, I realize more and more that their life with their friends, even though I'm, you know, not either I'm close to them or I'm, I'm, I'm just Facebook friends with them now, um, that their life is surrounded by uh, women or men that have kids. I mean, they are surrounded by parents, 
And uh, so I'm 31, almost 32. And I think that most of the people I went to high school with that I'm friends on Facebook are, are now uh, bunned up and have kids. And I'm wondering, you know, I just, I feel like it's so funny that, that they would label anything superfluous. Like, okay, raising a life is what it means to be an adult versus you're going to critically analyze uh, media or literature and that's not mature. You know, intellectualizing uh, movies or storytelling or folklore um, in any of the media that we that we consume is uh, a childish endeavor. Uh, going to school for, for media, for electronic media and film, television, whatever, going to school and then getting a job in that industry. Like the only thing that technically qualifies me in their in their uh, um, outlook as being a mature person is that I have a good paying job in in a, a uh, in a professional career field. That's the only thing that really makes me a man. When I fucking talk to to friends of mine, uh, they really hold me up to that rubric of why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids? Why haven't you bought a house by now? But don't you think that's just jealousy? I mean, all, like, <laughs> like, really, like, I, look, I get to live the life of a teenager you still, do. basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I deliver pizza, and I, and I come home, and I smoke pot and play video games. And, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, that's what they want. I mean, it's the, it's, they, they, it's like you can make your choices, but the grass is always greener on the other side doesn't really leave you with choices once you've made a commitment that large. Right. right. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, that's the, the whole thing I keep coming back to. Like, there's probably a personal reason why I don't want to get married, but there is a pretty understandable reason why I don't want to have kids. And that really is I don't really want to put my – career or interests or my life on hold for 10, 15, 18 years. Right. Yeah. Like uh, my, my friends, Tom and Rosie, they, uh, Rosie had always wanted to be a mom and I've known her for like, for like 10 years now. And I knew as soon as her and Tom got married, like it, w- it wasn't going to be long. And so they have Ringo and he's two. And, Is he and a drummer? Uh, he, they're they're going to make him. <laughs> they're big Beatles fans. But uh, he... So, so she's a year younger than I am, and her her thing is like, she sees the life extension thing too. Like, we're we're younger, longer. Yeah. So she's like, by the time Ringo is eighteen, I'm gonna be forty, yeah, and I'm gonna be what thirty year olds were twenty years ago, yeah, and yeah. I still have my life ahead of me, right? So I- there, it's like. It's like now we're in that that phase where like we don't know what is the better choice. What do we want in the future? Do we want freedom in the future or freedom now? Right. And uh, yeah, I, I sort of interrupted you, but I, I was uh, you were about to answer what I've been me- what I've been meaning. What I figured this was building up <laughs> for you to try to get us to ask you <laughs> okay. or talk about is um, uh, why don't you want kids and uh, 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 have you have you cons- do you want to get married and how long have you and Monique been together? Right. Yeah, we've been together for four and a half years. And That's and when I talk to my mom, the reason that this has been on my mind recently is because a couple of weeks ago, my mother said uh, she was comparing me to my, my sister who's 12 years older than me, and my sister isn't 
married or have or has kids. She's not even in a relationship right now. And so she is how old? She's 43 and she doesn't have um to to my mother's definition a plan. And she says to me um so I have two two sisters. The the twelve year older the twelve years older one is Tanya, and the fourteen years older one is Robin. Um, my mom said to Robin when she was dating her now husband, um, "You guys have been together for seven years, technically domestic partnership. Um, shit or get off the pot." She said that shit or get off get off the pot. There's no point in being with someone that long. Uh, just get married. So she said that to me a couple weeks ago. She says, Greg, you've been with Monique for four and a half years. What is your plan? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you are going to get to the point, you know, you only have a couple more years where you're going to get to the point where you guys are domestic partners anyway. Uh, What is your plan? And I was like, why are you bringing this up to me? And why do you have to have a plan? Why? And why is the? Yeah. And even more so, why is the plan that I have to get married and have kids? Why? Yeah. Whose plan is that? That's, well, the, that's your plan. I think the plan, it's, it, the, the plan is to be happy. Yeah, I think so. so. It's, it's yeah. to change that at any moment you don't feel that way. Yeah, I think so. I think the plan is to be happy and healthy. If you're doing something that's not making you happy or keeping you healthy, yeah, you got to change that plan. If she looked at me and she was like, Greg... When are you going to get a plan and get off this heroin? I'd be like, okay, you're right, Mom. I need to get off this heroin. But no, it's... Yeah. But it's it's the plan to be happy now in 2014. In the 1950s yeah. or 60s, thinking about the traditional idea of the American dream or whatever, you, <laughs> yeah. know, you had you know house, work, marriage, kids, right. and some form of financial stability behind it. Right. But but and that was fine then. But now I feel like the American dream should be defined more like figuring out how to live your life in a way that makes sense for you right. and isn't and isn't hurting anyone else. Well, you guys with, with with possibly some financial stability behind it. Well, you guys, you both of you guys do a a Mad Men podcast. You guys yeah. are are yeah. watching the show and everything, and I think that you perfectly illustrate my my parents got married in the 60s. They got divorced 30 years in. They had a terrible marriage. They fucking fought like a bastard. My dad, uh, you know, unfortunately uh, was physically abusive also. Um, I've seen horrible fucking marriages. And I say to my mom, uh, do you know how many people of my generation get married and then get divorced? Like the divorce statistics the point of divorce like people get married and they don't even realize sometimes well i'd say most of the time uh the people that get married just because they're doing the next thing they're not getting married because they want to or whatever they're doing it because that's what society tells them to do they don't even realize that they want to spend their life with this person they're like oh i'm happy right now Oh, we fight a lot, but I'm happy right now. You know, they come up with these qualifications for it. I'm not saying that marriage doesn't work for for uh, people that that uh, knowledgeably and 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 uh, and uh, come to the conclusion that that's the next best thing for them, that that's what they want. But I'm saying so many people make that that step without even taking in the consequences or what what really is going to happen. So I say to my mom, I'm like, okay. 
So what is this plan? The plan is to get into a marriage uh, because uh, it, the seven years is coming up quick and I need to get married with her. What, what if that just leads to uh, unhappiness, fighting, and divorce? What the, yeah. fu- what the fuck is the point of of do of uh, fulfilling that if it's just going to... Like, what, am, am I supposed to be happy that this led to a divorce? Is that, like, is that the next thing? <laughs> right, and I, I don't understand the... the hypocrisy of of people like people like of like your mom you just said she she was married 30 years and it ended in divorce from that point from that point i don't mean to judge your mother but i mean why it just does not compute to me why why she would want the same thing for me yeah why she would think that anybody could predict the future in that way from that point well she says it's about my sister tanya she says it's uh well, she, what did she say? She said she's made her decision. And that almost makes me feel like, so my sister has dogs, you know, she has a, a few dogs. And uh, to me, the way that my mom said that, I was like, you, you're kind of like, she's a cat lady or she's a dog lady. She's made her decision to be a weirdo. The way that she said it was like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. I, that never entered into it for me at all. I feel like, Tanya has made her whenever you say made her decision there's a finality to it mom doesn't realize that Tanya has has made the decision for what makes her happy right now if she meets a guy and she wants to get married she probably will but right now she's not like actively looking for it it doesn't mean that she's banished to something or that she's made a a, a solidified you know a, a written in stone type future, fi- final future for herself. I mean, this is the thing. Things change as you progress. Things change in this life. And like, okay, can I imagine getting married and having a family with Monique? Absolutely. But do I want that right now? There are so many variables that I don't want. I don't want to have a loveless marriage. I don't want to have a, a, a terrible marriage. I don't want to have a, uh, a family when it's not financially viable right now. We don't have the money to have to to raise a kid. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and and the thing with uh, your mom and and Tanya is that her name? Yeah. Uh, it's like I think that wraps around to sort of the having kids argument as well as well as marriage. Because at least for people of your mother's generation, the uh, you have to consider your uh, how long you can have kids because That's back it, then yeah. mm-hmm. there was. Like you said, we are watching this this Mad Men show right now. Or in, in the in the sixties, it's very obvious there was like nothing to do, right? So like, <laughs> so it's like, what are you gonna do besides have kids and look after them? Even though she spent, she let Carla, Betty let Carla look look after them all the time. I don't really understand what she had to do standing around that house, but that's right. neither here nor there. Back then, there was nothing to do. There was three channels, and and when you wanted to watch TV, you had to watch what your parents were watching. Right. And it's like, what? What's my plan right now? My plan, like, do you know how many shows my wife and I have watched? <laughs> do you know how many shows we still want to watch? The plan is to motherfucking catch up on Doctor Who, and I don't think I can do that with kids. <laughs> but see, even that, like, Ken, is like, people would define that as a superfluous and immature endeavor. Like, to, 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 to think that you are getting some sort of pleasure and also you're, you're um, getting stimulated intellectually by watching this stuff, that that right there is not 
you know, something that's that's worth your time. If, if someone, so we're getting to this point. I, I I admit I would roll my eyes if someone said, uh, "What's more important, um, raising a kid or binge watching all of uh, of of uh, Battlestar Galactica before it goes off Netflix?" Like, there's a there's a there is a a definition of what is important and mature, and I wonder like if that is like people don't define they don't define it in terms of what stimulates you either makes you happy or fulfills your life they think that you know watching watching a tv show is is meaningless compared to you should be taking your life seriously you should be thinking about buying a house and having a kid you should be raising a kid. That's that is that's a point. That's a meaning. You know what I mean? Like they would they would define that as you're giving meaning to your life by creating your legacy. The 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 person that is the person or persons that's going to continue your your name or your genes or whatever. Yeah. What why <sighs> Christ, why? I didn't expect this episode to be so fucking, like, deep and serious, but... <laughs> no, it's cool. I like it. Me too. But why I... the fuck? Why the fuck is that, like, why is your legacy so important? That's that's such a, uh, that's such a primitive animal thing. Uh, do, uh, f- do any of us care about our legacy? I mean, we literally cannot take it with us. So, like, who is, it ben- who is it benefiting? That's true. Right. There's the- and, and, is, and isn't watching a TV show enriching our lives just as much as having kids would? It's probably making us less stressed. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, it's definitely, I think it's inarguable that, like, if I've seen, if I've seen something with British people and I've seen Bill and Ted and I've seen, like, Lost, <laughs> yeah. then, like, Catching up on Doctor Who, I'm not really like uh, uh, m- missing out on part of the human experience, <laughs> like like having kids would be. Like that's right. part of. The I'll, human t- I'll tell you, it, it dawned on me as we're talking about this. The number one thing that you could do, probably besides absorbing culture through literature and movies, is travel. And do you think that you're going to be able to afford the time or the money to travel if you have kids? No. Maybe, right, exactly. maybe 10 years down. Maybe. Well, Tim Ferriss was talking about talking to a, a doctor on his podcast, and, and he was asking why he should have kids. And the doctor said um, – the doctor, as if he's talking to David, David fucking Tennant. <laughs> uh, 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 he said that – well, Tim, you're – you don't have to do it right now, but I think you you should do it at some point because I, and he listed a, a bunch of reasons. But the main reason is is he was like you're you're wealthy, you're wealthy, and you have the means, and you know you will continue to have the means to enrich this child's life, to give him the education, to continue our future, and that's what evolution's all about. If you just had a kid and then didn't care about it then that kid's going to grow up ignorant and not really improve the state of our planet. In fact, it's probably going to hurt things overall. So it's like not only like even if I wanted kids at this moment, I'd have to uh, stop smoking pot, get a better job, save money for a few years to feel like I had the means to make that kid's life worth it. I don't want my kid to be a detriment to the planet no matter how much I love him, you know? 
But are we forsaking evolution? Are we if if we had a if we had a billion people thinking exactly like the three of us do? I, I'm not speaking. I'm speaking generically. I'm not saying that you guys definitely don't want this, but it seems to me like the three of us are pretty much on the same page. If yeah. you have a billion people who think this that are denying their evolution to continue uh, um, uh, having kids, procreating and educating them so that they can make a better world. If we're denying that, forsaking that, and we're instead doing these things that that could be labeled as self-interested, selfish. Are we saying that that's like, are we saying that that is, is dooming us? Is that some, is that why it's a negative? Are we dooming our species by spreading this kind of selfish, really intellectualized, typically pretentious idea of, we're going to live our lives, quote unquote, we're going to live our lives instead no. of. No, because the population that we're over so overpopulated as it is, it's insane. I think like it, it's part of like, we're making the decision right now to not have kids, but I think it's also part of like life living as one and the planet sort of, if, if there is a, a sense of self in the planet, it recognizes that it cannot sustain at the, ratio of which we're outputting children so if if in my whole existential fucking life everything happens for a reason type of thing maybe the reason we're creating all this art maybe the reason we're sitting and watching all these netflix shows is it is contextualizing it in a way that like we look if i'm watching these shows and still don't want children at this moment maybe there's a connection there maybe it's not just the shows i'm watching maybe it's everything i'm experiencing in life and the other art and stuff but i'm saying if that stuff wasn't there i might be bored enough to betty drape be betty draper and have three kids and that would be a detriment to our planet so i feel like people are never going to stop accidentally getting pregnant people aren't going to stop having sex um we're going to want life to go on it's it's I think that they label our media. I think this comes down to they label whatever media you take in as being escapist entertainment. They don't think that you're watching something for the intellectualism that's behind it. Whether that is like educating you or bleeding into your outlook on life if it's making you well-rounded culturally if it's enriching your comedy since it's something that you care about or for joe it's enriching his filmmaking or writing or whatever like they don't think that what we're taking in is anything other than i came home from a long day at work i just want to turn off my brain and watch csi miami you know what well, i mean let, yeah well let me talk to you about this okay so uh, you were talking about people on Facebook, you know, and Facebook is like it's it's the only reason I have a Facebook at this point is because it archives my pictures forever. Right. If if that weren't the case, and if I didn't have a podcast to promote, uh, <laughs> I I would get rid of Facebook for yeah. good because I'm, I'm with you. It it annoys the crap out of me, and here's the main reason why is because I see these people around me who who like your friends who have kids and are all about having kids and post stuff on Facebook, but it all seems okay. So I have two friends that all they do, their only posts and they don't know each other. They're just two people I happen to know are, are honoring like, like congratulating 
their themselves and their husband and their kids <laughs> for existence. Like they're look, maybe I sound like a dick, but I don't see any difference between like my baby took his first steps today and all of you need to know about it. Right. But between that and me being like Oh, look, my wife brought home a paycheck again this week. I'm going to take a picture of it and post it on here. You all like this, right? My wife's making money. She's doing, she's, we're all continuing to live. Things are continuing to happen. That's how life works, right? Right. Like, so, well, these you, people, you, these you, two. You just highlighted what's wrong with it. Like, the, the reason people are posting this is not because it's important, it's because they want attention. They want to make a show of it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That, so, that's why it's obnoxious. So. Ah, so yeah, they define themselves. These the, one of them, one of them doesn't work. One of the girls that I'm talking about doesn't have a job. Her husband's a trucker, and he just recently became a trucker, got his like license or whatever to do it. And and she sits at home with the kids. And when he's driving his truck, she'll she'll post pictures of the kids and statuses about the kids and post on his wall for people who are <laughs> friends with both of them to see. <laughs> How much she misses him and is proud of him for making money for them. And this is not like like once in a while. This is like an everyday thing. Yeah. So these people that, that post on Facebook all this stuff that want the public to see how goddamn fucking happy they are about everything, my theory is that they are immensely miserable and sad because they are defining themselves. They, these two girls that do this look like their husbands do things and that – I'm glad they seem happy, but it really seems like they have no personality. They are defining themselves by their family. Well, that's when, also kind of a that's kind of a downfall of of social networking of the of the of the addiction of of presenting. You know what I mean? Like it's it's it gets to a point where Facebook and even Twitter. I mean, you're obviously a different personality when you're presenting, okay? But it, on Facebook, if you're presenting something, it's okay to, to share. I'm fine with, with the sharing part of it. But if the whole thing is is that it seems like you're presenting your life as being enviable or uh, I'm only posting pictures about of, of my baby and I'm just posting about how uh, happy I am about my husband and everything, how proud I am of my husband. That's presenting because yeah, you know that... Yeah, just fucking text him. Exactly. That's yeah. how you feel. Exactly. It's the same as uh, I'm going to go uh, donate money to a charity and then I'm going to, you I'm know, put it on Twitter. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really what it is. Like, I have a problem with, you know, it might not even be that they're miserable. It's just that they're, they have an idea of what the the social network thing is i also have a problem with people that only post negativity yeah. uh, my life is so horrible uh i cannot believe this woman at work blah 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 just always complaining <laughs> bitching and complaining and i'm like you left out please pray for me oh yeah uh, oh yeah jesus christ <laughs> that's the worst that is the worst when you know something is ho- happening that's horrible and you know that people just want attention that's the worst mm-hmm. part of social networking is when you can tell people are reaching out for attention because like <clears throat> It's one thing when it's really uh, ingrained in in someone like they have um they have a, a mental or psychological disorder where that's that's part of it but it's also become part of uh, acceptable 
um, society, acceptable, uh, you know, uh, it's acceptable to post about all of these things and you're going to get all your friends to say, oh girl, it's okay, it's alright, fuck that guy or whatever, you know, or, you know, I hope that everything's alright, it's going to get better, you know, Instagram too, I have this, uh, I follow this friend of mine from high school that posts on Instagram all the time about, you know, all these all these inspirational sayings because her life needs improvement and mm-hmm. she has all her 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 uh her little stable of friends her little uh, what do they call it a gaggle of geese you know they have have her gaggle of geese come up you're right girl all you need to do is think positively and all that stuff and it's all in, it's all in oh of course it's all it's all in jesus christ jesus christ you know yep. will will help you out and that's the thing you know like that is part of it, you know, posting your children and everything. I understand it. I understand it. You, the, your children are fucking adorable and you love them. And they it's did, okay to be proud. It's okay to be, exactly. It's okay to be proud. It's adorable and funny. You want to post some pictures of, they got, they got uh, you know, uh, food smeared all over their face. I love those pictures. Those are great, great. Put them up there. But, but when you don't it, need an album titled <laughs> Pictures of My Kids with food smeared on their face <laughs> consisting of 150 pictures from last week that's a really long title <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man i think that uh i'm i'm constantly torn between um as i was growing up i had i had friends i had but i also went on my own and was a, a, a loner in the way that I thought about a lot of things. So I never really wanted to buy into what my, I'm sure, like everyone, I, I have this thing, you know, we keeping up with the, uh, what is it, the, with the with the Smiths or the, your neighbors or whatever. Yeah, the Joneses. Um, you want to... You know, there's, there's jealousy. This person has this toy or whatever. Fine, whatever. But what I'm talking about is like your outlook on things. As I was growing up, there was like a hive mind that all the people my age like this thing or they wanted to, to be this thing or look like this thing or whatever. And I never wanted that. I always wanted to, I wanted what I wanted. I wasn't trying to be punk or trying to be, you know, uh, against the grain, but I wanted what I wanted. Sometimes that aligned with what everyone else wanted. And I was part of the group. Sometimes it didn't, but I always went my way on it. And, um, I think that I got to where I am earlier than a lot of people at my age. So like when I got here to to this thinking probably sometime in college, I was really a weirdo because I, I knew that I someone would ask, so do you want to get married and have kids? And I was always on the other side of that. I was like, I don't define happiness and define my life by this. You know, it, it, it would not... It's not going to complete me. If you're not a complete person by yourself, why the fuck are you going to use a family or marriage to complete you? That's a, you have to start start working on yourself before you work on any of that. Exactly. So that's the thing I'm coming back to now 10, 12 years later is that there are still people – and 
God love them, you know, if I believed in God, whatever, you know, they, whatever, love them. <laughs> um, the, I'm, I'm happy that they're happy. If they really find that their children and their marriages and their life is, is happy, then more power to them. I'm so happy that they're happy. I just don't think that it should be, um, it should be a, a, a rule. It shouldn't be the way that we tailor our lives. I would rather tailor a life of independence rather than tailor a life of fitting in. I, I hate that. I hate the idea that you need to do this. You need to check this off the checklist. This one, this one, this one, until you have everything that you're supposed to have. And I, I yeah, I've constantly gone against that. I don't like that. I'm right there with you. Now, something just occurred to me is like on the flip side of, of us having this conversation, there are people who are sitting around talking about their kids, checking Facebook while their kids are like watching the Disney Channel or something, and they're going, God, Ken, Greg, like what? Stop posting <laughs> about this podcast. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. But that's not making you happy. That's our that's kids. That's making you as happy as kids. Yeah. <laughs> that's our baby photos. Children. <laughs> so maybe we are just wasting time because we don't get what's actually important. And then in 15 years, when we're still podcasting yeah. all together, yeah. we're all going to be we're going to play clips from this episode and chide us while we have fucking kids in our lap. Oh yeah. We're going to be running around with three kids in each one of our families. Yeah, no, I think that, uh, so the thing that I keep coming back to, especially with the, the traveling idea and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it just feels to me like being witness to your own life. And I mean, I mean this in the way that people take pictures but they take pictures to remember and you'll see something that you go, they go somewhere and they only take the pictures. They, they're not present. They're not present for the thing that they go to, whether it's, you know, the botanical gardens I went to a couple months ago with my, with my girlfriend. And I noticed that her friend was taking pictures, you know, it's fine to, 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 um, memorialize and to, to bring those memories back when you look at the pictures. But if you're, experiencing it and you're witnessing it and being present only through a viewfinder i feel like you're not absorbing and being there what you should what you should be there for yes and and that's the thing i when when i think about the things that you should do to enrich your life if you're engaged by it then that is the definition of it enriching and making you happy and everything. Whether it's a piece of media, whether it's your child or whatever, if you're present for it, that is the thing that's going to make you uh, complete. If you are constantly um, documenting it and you're going to revisit it later or you're never going to have the time or the money to travel or you're never going to have the time to read or watch a movie or whatever i feel like it's it's the definition of it is whether you can be present and engage with it or whether that thing you're always going to use it as and escape or release. Oh, I've been taking care of my kid for all this week and I'm so tired. I just want to veg out and watch, you know, so you think you can dance. I love that show, but my point is that you're, you're, what you're discerning from it is, is your life a, are, are your recreational activities enriching you, whether that's travel or whatever, 
or are you using them as escape from quote unquote your life? And that's what I have a problem with. I feel like a lot of people aren't present. They're not witness to their life, whether it's they're raising their kids or whether it's watching a movie. They think that it's just uh, there's got to be a recreational thing. There's a full time job that's taking care of your kids. And then the recreational thing is watching some really inept, brainless movie or TV show or whatever. Yeah. That being said, I bet the people who rarely get to watch movies because they're kids fucking appreciate the hell out of them way oh, more sure. than I do. Sure. Um, Wouldn't it you, piss you off even more if you saw a bad movie or TV show? Like you just wasted all your your extra time yeah, on that? your only yeah. free time. Yeah. yeah. I guess you judge things a lot more harshly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you brought that up about taking pictures and stuff because um, – I, I've tried to let go of, of that part of myself. I do memorial or I do chronicle my life with this podcast, but I've kind of let it stop there, like because I've I've noticed the picture taking thing. Um, it's so funny. I my wife and I went to Disney World earlier this year, and she took pictures of everything, and I didn't take a picture of anything, and that's fine. But she hasn't looked at any pictures since. But I got to actually see everything with my own eyes. Right. And there's a. Uh, there's a John Mayer song. It's like my favorite song in the world called Three by Five. And it's about all this, about how like you should have seen that sunrise and I would have right. taken a picture for you, but it wouldn't have been the same anyway. Right. Like uh, I, I tried to do a comedy bit about it and I couldn't quite get it down. But I was when I was visiting uh, all these cities uh, last fall, I went to an aquarium. I, I, I forget where it was. I want to say in like Texas. Uh, but it was so funny. I went to an aquarium and, you know, all kinds of fish and all these different, whatever, fish tanks mm-hmm. everywhere, like l- row after row, line after line. You, there's a box of this fish, bo- box of this fish, box of this fish. And it's like a museum. You just walk around and you look at them, you know. But, like, there was there were these kids that were running in front of me and, like, I was um, – in a rare form where I was alone and, and didn't have my earphones on. I was like actually experiencing the world around me. Right. Um, these kids ran up to the tank I was at. All of them had cell phones. They couldn't have been older right. than like 10. They like didn't even try to see the thing with their eyes. Right. They just lifted up their phone, snapped a picture, and moved on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. And then dad, trailing behind them, is like like walking up to the tank I was just I'm at where the kids were just at and it's like you know there's these fucking like cool seahorses or jellyfish or whatever and there's like ten of them and it's like just really mesmerizing to look at and and the the dad calls out to the kids oh, did you see this this is so cool right. and and the kid uh, looks back at his dad like from over his shoulder as he's continuing in the next one holds up his phone and sort of shakes it back and forth and goes oh I got it the- like <laughs> it literally is a checklist like he's yeah. not. That kid is not going to go home and look at these pictures. Right. But he is going to have proof to say that he was there. Right, right. And is that going to matter one day? I don't know. I, I think that it's interesting too because I really have – I know people that are really worried about in a way that, that chronicling of it. They want to have – the photos because they don't trust their memory. They don't. Tr- they 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 fear Alzheimer's and the and your and your death, and that this is this thing that you experienced when you get older. You won't remember it the same way, 
And I think it keeps coming back to, like, memory, like, is something that I love, but I realize it's fluid and it's flawed. And uh, the way you remember events is fluid and flawed. I mean, I can recount something that happened as a kid, but I'm sure that it is not exactly how it happened. It's my perspective as uh as a six-year-old uh and and including a whole gap of years where anything could have colored that it could have been the smell in the air it could have been you know uh music that was playing it could be anything that colors that memory and you just hold on to little variables you don't remember it it's not a snapshot it's not a movie you know it's nothing chronicled perfectly and i kind of like that i like that the, that it's it's filtered it's filtered by you you know it's filtered by your outlook or maybe even your politics or anything the thing that's shaped you as a as, as a person while you were growing up and as i get older i always, i can't remember where i heard it but as i get older i always come back to whoever this was whether it, whether it was a comedian or a lecturer or something uh, this person talking about how you know memories are these fleeting things but they're more important to people than than photos and like for me i I'm sure that photos matter to people you know capturing those memories but as I get older I'm like yeah you know what I just want to exist there I don't want to necessarily take photos like a couple the last couple times I've gone somewhere with uh, my girlfriend I take photos for her for her benefit but I really walk around and experience those things, whether we're at an amusement park or botanical gardens or something like that, I kind of want to just absorb it. I want to absorb the smell. I want to absorb the the light, whether it was a cloudy day or a really sunny day, the temperature. I want to remember how I was in that space right there. I don't want to remember it just because I got a snapshot of a frog or, you know, a, a nice looking flower or whatever. Yeah, the, the, I'm I'm the same way. The only the only way in which I go against that uh, sentiment is <laughs> that I'm so addicted to podcasts that I have so many stacked up yeah. that when I go on any walk or, or anything where I'm right. alone, I'm just like have earbuds in. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a struggle for all of us to truly appreciate life all around us. But can I tell a short story uh, related to what you just said? No, we don't have enough time for that. No, go ahead, please. <laughs> um, so when in two thousand nine, I um, got to play on stage with Green Day, and it was it was in Washington D.C. and and is this nine minute song called Jesus of Suburbia, and and uh, it was basically the song that like I learned how to play guitar on, like but like. 10 years beforehand or five years beforehand or whatever. So, so it was like a huge deal for me. They were like my favorite band. It wasn't expected. I was just up front and he was like, uh, who knows how to play this song? And I went crazy and he saw me and, and, and he picked me to be on stage and play that song with That's him. That's awesome. Yeah. Like in front of 26,000 people for 10 minutes straight and, and I rocked out and it was great. Um, I didn't plan for it. And and so therefore, I wasn't taking a video, and my girlfriend, who I was with at the time, wasn't uh, taking a video. She was just experiencing it, and I was just being in the moment and rocking out. But while I'm so angry that I go to concerts and there are so many people um, with their cell phones out, right? Uh, <laughs> I was really glad there were that night. 
because now you can go to YouTube and see me playing with Green Day. Yeah. But but what I learned that night is what we're talking about right here is if I think back to that night because I wasn't expecting it, I wasn't prepared to commit any of it to memory. So oh, yeah. if I if I close my eyes and I try to like really visualize and remember being on stage, I think there are like honestly maybe like four or five like snapshots right. or or maybe like um half the length of a vine video like three yeah. seconds of like fluid mo- movement but like that's it i wish i could remember what it felt like 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 totally remember what it felt like to be at yeah. the end of his catwalk rocking out and twenty six thousand people cheering and rocking on to like yeah. this this rhythm i was setting but what i learned that night is is in watching that video back after somebody finally uploaded it to youtube i was like holy crap you need to you really need to take in the moment ken yeah 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 because like, it, but you're also dealing with nerves. You're dealing with, am I doing this right? You're like looking at yourself from outside yourself. So you like, I can imagine your mind is not on. Let me record this, because you got so many other things going on. I'm sure you were anxious too, huh? They, um, actually, it was so weird. I was I was so excited. Like, I, if you watch that video, like I was just rocking the fuck out. Like, I I don't. I don't understand how I'm like nervous to get on stage in front of 30 people to do comedy, but like that was like nothing to me. Huh. But but now I can because that thing happened. I I feel like it informed how I create my memories because it was such a huge event. Yeah. Like it's such a Green Day is always going to be one of my favorite bands. I'll say to my kids I played on stage with Green Day, but I wish I had more of a clear personal memory of it that I'm going to uh, uh, try to really be present in everything that's happening forever so I can always have context to remember it in case there aren't people there with right. cell phones that are going to upload it to YouTube. So right. So now I have a memory of like, pretty much every stand-up set I've done. I'm sure in 10 years they'll, they'll blend together, yeah. but I, I'm more focused on, on being present all the time because of it. Right. <sighs> it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, man. It's, uh, it's our, you know, we're, we're getting like, we're all over the place with this and it all started with, you know, how mature are we? And I'm like, you know, if you're listening to an hour and 15 minute podcast about three guys, um, okay, two guys and Joe just listening. Um, (laughs) I love my live podcast, sir. I know, I know. Uh, It's just, I think you're going to understand that if we were dummies, these things wouldn't even come up on our radar. If we were dummies, we wouldn't even know to think about this. And I feel like if it's if it's so much in our mind and that, you know, it's it's education, man. It's just fucking learning because I'm obviously going to come back to this throughout my life. You're going to come back to uh to the the ideas of of uh, chronicling your life and how to do it in a way that kind of doesn't forsake your memory, but doesn't also for, forsake the the documenting of it, so you can relive it. Like all of these things that we that shape um, the way that we look at our life, whether it is the maturity, the maturity aspect, uh, what how we define our happiness and everything, and and uh, whether whether marriage and kids enter into that at all. Or whether, you know, it's about uh, being present and being witness. I mean, dummies wouldn't think about this. People that, that are just going through their life and, and um, existing, just they just exist. 
uh, aren't going to think about this, I don't think. I mean, they're not introspective. People that can't criticize or learn, um, they can't criticize themselves or learn something and change. Like they're so set in their ways or they're only, you know, they've got it figured out and they're only going to be that for the rest of their life. Those are the people that, you know, I wish would die off. But <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you haven't talked a lot. Is this Is this like... Are you not talking because you're listening, or are you talking? Are you not talking because you you don't know what to say, or what? Uh, both. Yeah. And I, I, I'm interested in the conversation, but I don't know that I necessarily have anything to add on the subject. Yeah. I, I agree with mostly everything you guys are saying. You're, I just you, but, I just noticed something that uh, during this conversation that is very amusing to me is that but, between listening to my podcast or me on Gobbledygeek or me being on your show, Greg, you have learned. That I am going to talk until someone interrupts me. <laughs> and I think I just learned that by being interrupted by you. This show. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset about it. I think it's very funny. And I thank you for showing that to me. Well, that's good. We all learned something. No, I think that it's... I, think it's I, the... I apologize if I've made a poor showing on your show. <laughs> no, not at all, Joe. I think, that, I think that the most I've ever heard you talk was on the single solo that, that episode together yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i think that's because i was engaging you with questions and you had no other choice but to answer them it's like i got you in a corner and said fucking answer my questions <laughs> and in a, and in that exact tone of voice yeah exactly <laughs> go back and listen to that episode i'm very very much like that can i know that you're hold can i know you're holding this for your episode but um can we can we talk real quick about about your your boy Kevin Smith, I would love to. Um, so recently, uh, right before Tusk came out um, a couple weeks ago, um, Ken had his own show where we kind of reviewed uh, Red State, and we also kind of reviewed the the status of Kevin Smith, uh, the good and the bad, and kind of how uh, critics and and uh, and maybe even former fans uh, view him as a person if they can even divorce him from his art. But um, I gotta say, so I, I I loved being on that podcast talking about uh, Kevin Smith with you guys, and then we talked about Red State, and that kind of gave me a new uh, view of that, and then I saw Tusk last week and everything, and uh, I'm gearing up probably, I'm, th- I'm going to say I'm about 90% on this, I'm gearing up to start listening to Smodcast, um, and I feel like I've, I've listened to a smattering of it, but I think I'm going to try to start listening to it um, on a more regular basis, partly because of this. I feel like my appreciation of Kevin Smith and my fandom of Kevin Smith as when I was growing up in high school and everything, I talked about it on that episode, um, that seeing Kevin Smith through you and Joe's eyes makes me want to revisit him, to get back to, to get back to whether I want to be a Kevin Smith fan again, whether that means, you know, Smodcast or, or being part of, uh, of that, uh, of that community again. And I think part of that is because I see how, how super fan you guys are about Kevin Smith. Yeah, it's, it's pretty accidental. Like, I, I mean, I tweeted the other day that I wish I could 
I could like anything. I wish I could passively be interested in anything without becoming its obsessive golden number one fanboy. Um, so, I mean, it's just partly some disability of mine to just be a normal person. But, um, yeah, I, I, I maintain that anyone who has a problem with Kevin Smith uh, just or, or talks shit on his personality doesn't really, like, listen to him. Yeah. Um, I am judged not, him. Yeah, I am not uh, saying that everyone should have the context of knowing someone's personality before they watch their movie. Um, but I think just he happens to be a unique enough enigma of a dude that it kind of his his art has kind of just become this this extension of his personality, which everyone's art is, but but his is just his is, his a, has always been a little more uniquely autobiographical than that of other yeah. filmmakers. Yeah, and once you have the context uh, behind behind what uh, everything he's doing, then it's kind of. Then it feels even more so. Yeah, well, it's, it's a complete picture. You get the compl- yeah. like everyone who judges him without knowing. It's like I, I can't argue with their opinions because they only see what they saw. But it's like, but you don't know what I know. But that's just but, like saying you're not Christian because God didn't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about red state again? No, I, <laughs> no. But what I'm saying, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think the living vicariously through you and Joe's fandom is kind of it comes back to. I, there is, I, I, I think that my criticism, if, if there is any criticism, is that more than any of his other movies, Red State and Tusk, are, they really suffer from accessibility. And the people who are completely accessible to it are the ones that are on his wavelength, listen to his podcast, are part of his community. I don't think me, as a lapsed, Kevin Smith Catholic (laughs) as a last Kevin Smith fan um, got or would get um, the same uh, the same experience from Tusk and I I admit it I feel like Tusk is is a very problematic movie and I'm saying that as someone who's just criticizing it as a movie but like when I I, the night that I went to go see it I was sending texts back and forth with uh, Ken and I was like you know what? I'm not completely sold that it's a bad movie. I can't say that it's a bad movie, and I can't say it's a good movie. But like, what what did you get out of it? And we kind of had this, you know, back and forth on text, and it made me realize, you know, yeah, obviously, you and Joe having having be, been part of the community and and listening to the podcast, you're getting something out of it that as someone who who doesn't listen to it is it's inaccessible to me at that point. I got the surface, whereas I think you got the story. You got the deeper, the deeper making of behind it, and I think you're more invested in it because you have that accessibility. Whereas me, I'm like, okay, it's uneven. There's there's parts of it that I terribly dislike, um, and I think that I think that what we talked about in those texts was your ability to forgive because you knew where he was coming from. Yeah. Um... I had an interesting thing with the movie, and and I saw it with Joe. Joe came up last weekend, and we've been looking forward to this for uh, over a year since we first heard that podcast where they laid out the story and all this came uh, started up. But um, so we, Joe and I have been talking about how Joe talk about expectations and our experience with this movie because I don't know how to really sum this up. Like, uh, what? what, Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
um, you go into every movie with an idea of what the movie is going to be in your head. All, all of these preconceived notions about the boxes it's going to check when you're sitting there right. in the theater experiencing the story. Right. In a situation like with Tusk, I feel like because there's so much build-up to it and so much anticipation involved, and because obviously Ken and I love Kevin Smith so much, that that, that checklist is even longer. And obviously, because uh, Ken and I are so invested in who Kevin Smith is and his career, with, with a situation like Tusk, the checklist of expectations and like the box that we're trying to fit this movie into before we've even seen it, is so, the checklist is longer and the box is bigger and smaller at the same right. time. Uh, going to see Tusk with Ken uh, Thursday night, the night it opened... Uh, I think, would you say we had different responses to it or the same response? Because I feel like we, I feel like in talking about it with you afterwards, we were on the same wavelength, but you were more positive about it and I was more negative about it. Yeah. It's like we both had the same experience of like, uh, of the results not meeting our expectations. But, um, basically look, for those of you who don't know, because obviously a lot of people don't know this movie exists, if you look at the box office numbers, Tusk yeah. is a movie about a dude turning a dude into a walrus. <laughs> now, that sounds ridiculous, and it is, and uh, when it was sort of laid out on the podcast originally, he sort of talked about it as sort of this horror movie, so I, I sort of conceptualized it as a straight horror movie, like with no irony or ridiculousness, and Joe had read the script beforehand, so he knew there was like humor in it and that it didn't really take itself seriously, too seriously. But not too seriously, but there, there is more humor in the final film than there is in the script. The script really does read like... It, like you're saying, like a straight horror movie, it just happened to be tinged with a little bit of like blue velvet gallows humor. Right. Whereas the movie, I think, especially in the third act, spins way more toward comedy. Right. I feel like that's the thing, though, man. Like with um, uh, what's that? Uh, the <clears throat> a most wanted man. Yeah. So we talked about that, and I think that the expectation. Is a is a killer. I think the hype is always the killer, and we could do a fucking five hour podcast on on how hype and expectation can ruin ruin your experience. Were you hyped for a most wanted man? Uh, I was, or, or, or was it just looming in your mind as like, oh, one of the last Philip Seymour Hoffman performances? That and it also had been getting a lot of art house hype. I think it right. got a lot of art house like favor. A lot of people were saying not, and maybe they were favorable to it because it was. Mm. One one of his last performances. Right. And, he is, was, and he, he is great in the movie, too. Oh, he's no, fantastic. He's yeah, the best part of the movie. Absolutely. So, no, that's the thing with this is that I feel like, uh, so my my expectation, um, see, that's why I'm, I'm, forgive, I'm forgiving with Tusk is because my expectation was so low. Uh, uh, well, can we, can we finish painting that picture? Sure. So, so, so at the end of the first viewing, like, yeah, we were both... <laughs> We both got something we didn't expect in sort of different ways, but we were both kind of disappointed. I I was walking in going, I hope there's no humor, and I actually enjoyed the humorous aspects of it. Like, right. like I was very surprised by that. Right. But then on Sunday, after a weekend of saying I kind of hated half of it, we went yeah. and saw it again. And after Joe and I knew what the movie was, like, no lie, Greg, I had one of the best theater experiences of my life everything me too. me too i'm so glad to hear that everything i hated before just played 
perfectly and I don't I really don't think it's it's Kevin Smith fanboyism here because I was criticizing it the first time. Yeah. It was just expectation versus result. Like I knew what I was getting this time. Yeah. And as a straight up story and like observing like um, directorial choices and editing choices and stuff like that, I just and, and sort of the message of the movie, it actually has more of a uh, it's it's a little more serious when you get down to the basic story and what's happening than yeah. than than it looks on the surface. It's a morality play. No. It it just happens to have a walrus in it. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, I think that you are going to go into a deeper thing when you when you do a review episode on uh, on your show. I just felt like it was interesting that that at this point I feel, I don't know if reinvigorated is the word, but the need, like the need is in me to kind of see it through your guys' eyes. And I don't know that it's going to be, that I'm going to be completely on your, on your level or, um, you know, that it's going to be completely successful. But I, I do want to give Kevin Smith another shot. Like as far as I want to maybe be a part of the community for the next thing he does just to see what it's like on the inside of the glass house, not just looking in from outside, but actually how does it feel inside the glass house? Cause I, I obviously cannot say that I've been in, in the glass house probably since Jersey girl, not well, even I- Zach and Miri was I, was I there for that? I admire that because, I mean, I think it's important to try to put your brain in places that you don't think you really belong in the present time. Right. Like, well, like when I go to my in-laws and they're watching Fox News, I make a point to actually not right. not argue, just shout at the TV, but actually like listen to what they're saying because yeah. then I know exactly what I think about it. Yes, and right. actually, it's not that far away. Like his next movie is going to be out, I think, next, next year. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, are there um, people that listen to Smodcast but don't like his movies? Do you think there have to be some, right? I would guess so. I, th- I, f- I don't know. That, but that goes back with what I was saying. I was like, they're so, they're so similar in that, in that sense. Like he's, they're so part of the same thing. I don't know why you would do one without the other. <laughs> but uh, he, for those listening who think Kevin Smith's annoying, um, he can be. Um, but his latest appearance on the Nerdist. Oh, yeah, uh, that's great. I think it might take a third or halfway through the episode to get started, but I think the inspirational uh, giant that he is, he, I think he felt like he had, he, that was his platform to really show who he is and what he stands for, and, and that is a really good uh, entrance point into where he's at right now um, as far as like what I love about him. My favorite Nerdist episodes are the ones where they won't let Chris Hardwick speak. Uh, that's the Ke- the Kevin Smith one, the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger one, where the person is so engaging and just takes the reins for it that Chris Hardwick doesn't even have to direct it. He doesn't need to direct it in any particular way. Yeah, yeah. And and just to one last thing on Tusk because we're, we are gonna I'm gonna do a bigger review episode on it. But but there's one thing that like people who are hating on it like don't. Like like what I said like about following uh, uh, watching Fox News or whatever. I also follow people I disagree with a lot, like fucking Devin Faraci and, and Scott Weinberg and shit like that. And they both those are two people that really hated the movie. And while neither of them said this, I, I have this 
vision in the future of them hating some future Kevin Smith movie. And in their review, they're going to say, like, at least with Tusk, that was an original <laughs> idea I had never seen before. Right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. They'll be saying that in the future, and it'll be a compliment about Tusk. Right. But it's not in their review now. Yeah. Right. So why, it's, that's my argument for people walking into things already expecting to hate it. It's the it's the time will tell thing, man. If if you're going to, um, if you're going to judge something by what came before, and that's really where a lot of film criticism comes from, you're gonna base it on what this artist has done before or their last movie or whatever, um, to try to get into their headspace what they what they made with this, and uh, if you're if you're if you're if you're judging Tusk. On the on the litmus test that that red state was, then uh, it's even more it's even more of a what the fuck. I will say this: I feel like already, and I've only seen it once. I feel like mm-hmm. Tusk, though it does have balance issues tonally, um, I think that it's just a a a better uh, filter, like a boiling down of what Kevin Smith was going for than Red State was. I think we, we talked to, at length about Red State, but I think that Tusk, for me, as a viewer, was more successful at getting at what he set out to make. Maybe that's just my perspective. Anyway, guys, look, we've done an hour and 37 minutes. When I started this, when we got on Skype, I thought we were lucky to get 10 minutes. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you. And we're going to do another show where where we uh, just ask Joe questions. Ken and I are just going to ask Joe questions the whole time. <laughs> That's you'll what I'll prepare pre- for. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll each prepare your own questionnaires and like I'll like there will be crossover and <laughs> when you both when you both ask me the same question, I'll give you two different answers. Please. Let's do <laughs> oh, it. Man. Uh, can we can we do a little plug action? Where can people find you? Ken, go ahead first, please. Yeah, I have more plugs. Joe, you go first because I don't want to have to say <laughs> Mavin twice. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Toasted Schizo. That's Toasted, S-C-H-I-Z-O. You can subscribe to me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Toasted Schizo. Please watch Nowheresville. Uh, Ken is in it. He is wonderful. Greg has seen it. He had yes. some very nice things to say about yes. it. Um, and you can hear me on Mad Men po- on f- fuck. I'm starting that one over. <laughs> and you can hear me on Smoke Gets in Your Ears, a Mad Men podcast with Ken, which you can find on Twitter at Mad Men Podcast, and it is also on iTunes. And who else is on that podcast with you? <laughs> the, the second gobbler, twelve-year-old <laughs> comedy fan. I think he would take issue with that being the second gobbler. <laughs> well, the second born. <laughs> the second born. <laughs> All right. Uh, I am. I, you can find me on Twitter at the Ken Edwards. That's Ken with two N's. I have uh, multiple podcasts as well as being on on. The Smoke It's In Your Ears, a Mad Men podcast. My primary podcast is called So Let's Get to the Point. Uh, you can search for that on iTunes or, or Google my name, and So Let's Get to the Point, you'll find it. And uh, we just had two recent episodes where we looked at movies and, and tried to uh, judge the artist, uh, try to read, not judge, read what we can from the artist through their art, and that was with... Uh, um, 
Kevin Smith and Red State, which both of these guys were on, as well as uh, the Gobbledy Geeks and our friend Eric Sippel. And um, we did for the Alien Predator pod crawl, I did Prometheus, and we talked about Damon Lindelof, and I think those were two pretty great episodes yeah, that absolutely. Uh, fans of this podcast will probably enjoy. And um, I'm, I also do a show called Project Batman. It's kind of in uh, development hell right now because there aren't anybody who – there isn't anybody – there aren't enough people who want to draw Batman for me, damn it. I've tried to draw. All right, we have an animation director on this independent movie we're trying to create. Uh, go to batmanimmortal.com to see what that's all about. Um, I wrote the script for it with these guys, and that was kind of my main duty. So now we're just sort of, I'm sort of twiddling my thumbs and waiting for some storyboards to happen. But they're very busy people, and they're not happening. And if you want to help, you can read the script and look at what we have so far on batmanimmortal.com. Dot com, as well as hear us write the entire script on our podcast. It was nice. a chronicling of uh, how to write a story from beginning to end. So, um, But if you want to skip all that and just hear the finished product, just go to episode 50 of Project Batman, and it's a read-through of the script with a score behind it, and I think that's pretty entertaining. Oh, yeah. Uh, just in case you are also interested, the second episode of All the Pieces Matter a retrospective podcast on uh, HBO's The Wire that I co-host with Fernando Madrigal. The second episode just came out uh, this week, and uh, probably there will be more if you don't want to crumple papers during my plug Ooh, scan. I'm sorry. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> we're on Tumblr, wire, wirepod.tumblr.com. We're also on iTunes, All the Pieces Matter. Um, guys, thank you so much. Joe, Ken, always good talking to you, and uh, I always look forward to, to doing episodes with you guys. Me too, man. We'll do more. Absolutely. And Joe, he'll, he'll talk more than 10% of the podcast. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day. Oh, there was one thing I forgot to mention. You can also find me on a different YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash life without hands. <laughs> <laughs> Joe actually <laughs> cooks and tries to do so many things with just his feet. No, please, please check that out. Life without hands is probably the thing that I um, that gave me a headache for the past two weeks, laughing so hard. It is the invention of comedy. Nothing has ever been as funny as this. It is. It is. And uh, if you get high, you'll probably like it even more. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Later, Greg. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Definitely. Bye. Bye.